I have something from the Lord this morning that you will benefit from. And so, if you have your Bible this morning, turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, if you don't have your Bible, look around and find a Christian. They'll have one and ask if they'll share that with you. Uh, I'm sorry, that wasn't right. Uh, <coughs> I'm just messing with you. Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 3. And when you turn there, if you've been a Christian for very long, you're going to kind of say, ho-hum, I've heard this text ministered on many, many times, and not another sermon from this text, but if you'll give me just a few minutes, uh, I think that you'll find that this is not just another sermon from the, this text. You'll find that this is a totally different uh, presentation than you have ever heard uh, ministered from this text of Scripture. Luke chapter number 15, we're going to begin reading with verse number 3, and we're going to read through verse number 24, and we're going to find three stories that are presented here, or parables. Verse number 3, it says, And he spake this parable unto them, saying, Interesting that it's a singular parable. Not three parables, but this parable unto them, saying, And what man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lose one of them, doth not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness, and go after that which is lost until he find it? And when he hath found it, he layeth it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he cometh together, he calleth together his friends and neighbors, saying unto them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, <clears throat> excuse me, more than under over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Either what woman, notice he continues on with this parable, one parable, not three. Either what woman, having ten pieces of silver, if she lose one piece, doth not light a candle and sweep the house, and seek diligently until she find it. And when she hath found it, she calleth her friends and her neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I had lost. Likewise, I say unto you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. And he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land. And he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he had come to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." And he arose, and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, <clears throat> had compassion, and ran, and fell on his neck, and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. 
But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, and is alive again. He was lost, and is found, and they began to be merry. I want to share with you this morning on the subject of three lost things for what Jesus is sharing here is a single parable about three lost things. Lost is a state of being, not necessarily an accepted idea. And I guess I don't really have to go any farther to illustrate that than just to say, ask any man. And I look across the congregation and I see elbows poking uh, the wives reach over. I, I don't know how this goes down in your car, but in my car it usually goes down like this. Honey, are, are we lost? And I say, oh, oh no, I, I, I think I'm, you know, I'm, and she says, well, I just was asking because that's the third time we've passed that convenience store. And I said, well, I, you know, I, I think I have my, my bearings now. And she says, well, you know, uh, you want to stop and ask directions? No, I, 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 I think I pretty well have it figured out now. Well, shall we ask Surrey? Well, no, honey, sometimes Surrey's wrong, you know, uh, don't have it down, you know, just right. And by that time, we've asked something else for about the fourth time. And, you know, you understand what I'm saying. Lost is not necessarily a accepted idea. It's a state of being. If you're lost, you're lost. And whether you accept the idea that you're lost or not is irrelevant. If you're lost, you're lost. I remember several years ago hunting elk in the Cascade Mountains uh, of Oregon. Uh, and they're pretty rugged mountains with my father. And I was just a child, I don't know how old, eight, nine years old. Snow was almost to my knees. It was very cold and I remember uh, wandering for quite some period of time. I didn't know everything that was going on. I know my father would pull that compass out of his pocket every once in a while and mutter something about, well, this cheap little thing says that, thank you, brother, that north is this direction. But, I, I, you know, if that's true, then our car should be off, the truck should be off this direction. But uh, that can't be because, you know, it should be, and we wandered, and, and we wandered, and I don't know how many hours we walked, and you know, then we came across some bear prints, uh, and this was fresh snow, and the bear prints were fresh, and I remember him putting his hand in the, in the print of that bear, and it didn't fill up the, the print, the paw print of that bear, and we kept walking, and I was trying to keep up, because he had a gun, and I didn't, and I'm looking over my shoulder, uh, and trying to, you know, walk in his prints, and I don't remember how long we walked. And the day was getting longer, and, you know, finally I remember him saying, you know, this thing could be right, and if that's true, then north is this direction, and if that's true, then the truck should be off in this direction, and then we started walking in that direction, and we walked for quite some time, but we eventually came to a road some distance from where the, and we walked down that road, and we, you know, you got the picture. Lost is a state of being. You know, when it comes to the really important matters of life, 
we live in a world that is responding in exactly the same manner. We live in a world that's lost. It's oblivious to where it really is. You're going to have to forgive me if you're a younger person in this congregation. Neil Diamond, 1971, came out with a song. that It was entitled, I Am, I Said. I remember in my hippie days going to a concert and listening to him tell about how he wrote the song. He said he put himself in a room, a dark, turned the lights off, sat down in a chair, and just listened to the inner meditation and thoughts of his heart. You young people are looking at me like, who's Neil Diamond? If I started singing Sweet Caroline, then you could relate to me a little bit better and understand that you at least know who Neil Diamond is, even if you don't know the song. But the song says, I, I am, I said, I am, I cried. I'm lost, and I can't even say why. One verse of the lyrics in one of the verses says, I got an emptiness deep inside. I've tried, but it won't let me go. I am, I said. I am, I cried. I'm lost, and I, even, I can't even say why. At least he was honest in expressing the reality of what many people in our society, not only back then, but today, are living in. Set someone down, an average person, and ask them a simple question. What is the meaning of life? Not, not ask them about their moment-to-moment -moment living and their experience of life. Are they having fun? Are they enjoying life? What, you know, what are they earning money to do tomorrow? Do they like a ball game? What's their favorite sports team? Ask them, what is the meaning of life? And I doubt if they can give you a very good answer. Because you see, without knowing the meaning of life, they really don't have a real hope. And without knowing a hope, and having a hope, they have no purpose. Without a purpose, they have no destiny. Without destiny, they have no inner peace. And that's why the suicide rate increases every day and every year. And one of the leading professions among suicides is psychiatry. Interestingly enough, those that are supposed to be counselors and giving the answers. We live in a world that is lost. It doesn't accept that idea. And when you use that terminology as the church, they act like, I'm lost. I know right where I'm at. I'm on the corner here of this street and that street, and I live there. What do you mean I'm lost? I'm saying this morning that lost is not necessarily an accepted idea. It's a state of being. And this text of Scripture presents us with three lost convictions that are representative of three states of mankind. We often hear them in the church individually treated. But rarely, probably never, have you ever heard them treated together. And because of that, we lose the depth of truth and the beauty, really, of this text because it's a single parable. Jesus taught this parable and gave the three of them together. Philosophy is man's search for truth. Religion is man's search for God. Christianity is a story of God's search for man. And it's presented in this text of Scripture. For every group of men that are lost are presented in some way or form. And I want to kind of give you a little comparative analysis of, 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 of this grouping this morning. We have three lost things and 
their discovery presented here this morning. First of all, the lost sheep, it's commonly known to us, and this story has been gone over again and again. It speaks to us of the sinner, one who has never gone known God. And I want to point out four things about each of these three items this morning. The lost sinner, the sheep, it's lost through ignorance. The sheep never set out to be lost. It just followed its natural desire. A sinner doesn't set up, doesn't wake up, doesn't, child doesn't grow up and say, I want to be a sinner. I want to be estranged from God. I want to be an enemy of God. It just is lost through its ignorance. It doesn't know. It follows its natural desire. The sheep is out eating one day and it just follows to the next blade of grass and to the next blade of grass and to the next and that little blade of grass and it feels good, do it, and I'm just going to do what's natural to me and the next thing it knows, it's the end of the day and it turns around and the herd is not there and the sheep is lost. Isaiah say, like all we like sheep have gone astray and the sinner like a sheep that's gone astray. It's lost through ignorance. The second thing I point out about the lost sheep is that it is sought by the shepherd. In each of these three stories that Jesus tells in this parable, a different member of the Godhead is focused on. Now we know that all three of the members of the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, are involved in our salvation. The Father sends the Son who dies on the cross and the Holy Spirit. No man can come to the Father except the Father draw him. But it, it, a different one of them is emphasized in these stories. And of course, in the story of the lost sheep, we see the role of the Son. We see a very active, a very self-expending. We see this shepherd after he puts the 99 away, going out, I'm sure, in the darkness of night. And he's searching for this sheep in very precarious uh, conditions. Now the uh, natural enemies, the wolves, the lions, whatever there may have been, are out in the darkness of night. Not only is that sheep in jeopardy, but the shepherd is in jeopardy and he searches until he finally finds uh, that, that, that sheep. There's nothing as helpless and needy as a long sheep and it requires. We know, of course, this speaks of the work of Jesus as he left the safety of the throne of heaven and came to earth and gave himself on Calvary, a, a very active, self-expending role. This sheep is sought by the shepherd. And the third thing we notice in this story about the lost sheep is that the sheep is found by simply yielding to his rescue. He doesn't do anything. He just, when he is found, he is willing to accept the efforts of the master, of this shepherd. And the shepherd takes him and puts him on his shoulder and takes him back. That's the way it is with the sinner. He accepts the mercy and the grace. He deserved justice. Justice for a sinner would be to get what you deserve. That, that's what the word justice means. If I'm a murderer and I stand in the courtroom, the judge should say, you've taken a life, we will take your life. Justice is to get what I deserve. Mercy is to not get what I deserve. is to be pardoned and to not get what I deserve. We've heard pastors say it many times that, that justice put a rope around my neck and mercy cut the rope 
But it goes one step further. Grace is to give me what I don't deserve. Mercy, justice gives me, says, give him what he deserves. He's a murderer. Give him, take his life. Justice steps in and says, and mercy rather, steps in and says, no, no. I'm going to have mercy on him and I'm not going to give him what he deserves. But then grace steps into the gallows and says, you know what? I'm going to give him a new home and a job and I'm going to give him income. Grace gives him what he doesn't deserve. Justice says, give him, give him death. He deserves it. Mercy says, no, don't. Grace says, oh, I'm going to give him what he doesn't deserve. I'm just going to give him far beyond. And then we sang this song this morning. Grace comes along and then just grace upon grace upon grace and just keeps giving and giving and giving what we don't deserve. But we have to yield to that. We have to yield to our rescue. And then I know it's Sunday morning, but you're going to have to forgive me here. Sunday morning sermons should kind of be like eating breakfast. It's kind of a, a light meal. And you're not supposed to have anything heavy. But can I throw? They have breakfast steak, don't they? Yeah, they have breakfast steak. Can I, can I throw one little chunk of, of, of meat here uh, in? The sheep's wrongful actions can kind of be characterized as natural sin. Those of you that have been listening to pastors teaching on Wednesday night, when he talked about the comparisons of of sins, he introduced this concept, and I want to throw it in because I see it in these three stories here. There are three Old Testament words that describe undesirable contact, uh, conduct by uh, mankind. We lump it all together in sin, the word sin. The word sin means to miss the mark. It's like an, ar uh, 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 an archer drawing back his bow and shooting and missing a target. And there's a sense that that's true. It's similar to the word crime. When someone does wrong and commits a crime, whether it's a speeding ticket or murdering somebody, they're both a crime. Did you know that? It's criminal conduct. But one's a misdemeanor and one is a felony. And even in felony, there's a class one and a class two and a class three. And even, and, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of these categories and if you'll think of it in that term, if you go to the Old Testament, you're going to find three words. You're going to find sin, transgression, and iniquity that is used there. And these are kind of a breakdown of this wrong conduct that we have uh, that is, is, is used. You see it in Leviticus 16 and 21. Uh, they'll put that up on the board here for me. When it talks about the scapegoat, the symbolic uh, animal of kind of symbolizes Jesus taking away our sin from outside of the congregation there. Aaron shall lay his hands upon the head of the live goat and confess over him all the iniquities, there's that word, uh, of the children of Israel and all their transgression in all their sins. You see those three different words, and you'll see this in a number of places. David used it in Psalm 51, verse 1 and 2, where he asked God to forgive him of his sins and of his iniquities and of his transgressions. You see it Exodus 32, uh, or Psalm 32 and 5, and Exodus 34 and 7, and see it in Daniel. See it in a number of places throughout the Old Testament. And these are kind of subcategories, if you can think of it, in that terminology that describe uh, the attitude of 
our wrong behavior. Yes, sin is sin. Sin, all sin, removes us from favor of God. God doesn't like it, our, our behavior. But sometimes there are, you know, the murderer's crime is somewhat different in attitude from and, and nature from the speeder's crime that he's committing. And, and, and God makes a differential. The, the, the sin, uh, the wrongdoing of this sheep, this sheep's action is, is kind of this general category of sin because it, it's inherent within his nature. This sheep didn't just one day wake up and say, you know what, I think I'm going to go get lost and see what the shepherd will do. He just did that which was natural. It's the general category of sin that he was, was guilty of, and, and he walks off. Let me just introduce that little chunk of meat there so that we can compare it in these other two. And then let's look at the second thing. It's not second in the narrative, but I want to look at it second this morning. That's this lost son who speaks to us of a term that we often, often use, the backslider. One who has once known God and has chosen to reject him. Unlike the sheep who was lost through ignorance, this son was lost through willful rejection. He didn't just follow his natural desires. He woke up one day and said, I'm tired of being at my father's house. I realize all the provisions that are here. I realize what my father stands for and all. But I think that I just want to go sow some wild oats. And so the son is lost through willful rejection. And, you know, we could discuss this theologically, but this morning is not the subject, uh, not the time to do that. Some would say, well, he really was just out of relationship with the Father. But it's interesting to me that the same word is used of this son when he is welcomed back to the Father. He, the Father says, this my son was lost. He was dead, but now he's found as was lost of the sheep, saying, and when Jesus said of the sheep, he said, likewise, there's joy in heaven over one sinner that is lost. And the same terminology is used of the son who is lost. For when you willfully reject the father, uh, the argument is often used by those who believe that you cannot lose your salvation uh, that once you're born into the family of God, that you'll always be in the family of God. And they'll say to you, you know, once you're born your father's son, you'll always be your father's son. Uh, and the best thing to do is ask them if they really believe that. Uh, do you really believe that? Yeah. Well, Jesus said to the Pharisees one day, you're of your father the devil. So we were born into this world a child of the devil. So that's a pretty rough thing to believe. That if you really believe once you're born into family... You can't get out of it. You're in sad shape because you were born a child of devil, but because of a willful choice, you chose to be born again into the family of God. And if you chose by a willful choice to be joined into the family of God, like this prodigal son, there's a point in time when you can willfully choose to leave that family. And he chose one day, said, I will, and he walked away. And he was lost in this father's eyes. He was dead in this father's eyes, just like this sheep. 
The second thing we notice, that he was sought by the Father's unconditional love. The Father never went to the pig pen. The Father never actively went after him and sought him like the shepherd. Jesus left the throne of glory and came because lost sinners were ignorant and had no provision. They had to be sought out and actively brought by redemption to himself. But what was the Father's role in the salvation plan? The Father's role in the salvation plan was his unconditional love. For God, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that what did he do? Gave his only begotten son. It's his Father's unconditional love that seeks out. This is the role of the Father. There's no active pursuit as there was in the sheep. There was no need. What could he have done to this son? If the father would have gone into the far country, what would he have told him? Son, do you realize that I have a home? There's a place you could go to? Son already knew that. Do you realize that, that my servants are, are better off than you are? The son already knew that. The one thing that needed to change was the will of the son. And until the son chooses to turn his will, there's absolutely nothing the father can do. Until the son says, I will arise and go to my father's house and turn around. So, number three, how is the son found? The son is found by a willful change. What do we call that? Repentance. Repent literally means to change direction. It means you're walking in this direction. When you repent, I'm going to turn and I'm going to go in this direction. A lot of conversions are just emotional experiences. They're not repentance. If they really repent, they change their behavior, their direction, their will. They go in a, a different direction. So he, he, he changes. He goes in a different direction. And this son's wrongful action can be characterized by the word transgression. If you look that word up in the Hebrew, the Hebrew language, this type of sinful action, the word transgression, means to, to, to uh, sin with a knowledgeable disobedience, with a willful and a defiant heart. It's more the concept in, in, in the extreme form of it is rebellion. To sin with a, with a clenched fist, with a high hand. I know it's wrong, but I'm going to do it anyway. I don't care what you say. This son willfully chose. The sheep sinned out of ignorance. He just followed his own desires. Most sinners are sinners because they don't realize what direction they're going in. But not so with this lost son. He knew the behavior and the blessing and good that was at Father's house, he just willfully wanted to go in his own direction. And with knowledge, he chose to disobey with a willful and defiant heart. That's what defines a backslider. 
when an individual willfully and defiantly turns and walks from God, your salvation is lost, my friend. You may not accept it, but there again, what was my premise to open up with? Lost is a state of being, not an accepted idea. And then, thirdly this morning, what do we see? We see a lost coin. I know the terminology in the scripture says piece of silver, but we would call it a coin, a little round piece of silver. And this speaks to us this morning of the careless Christian, one who is out of proper relationship with God. Unlike the sheep who's lost from ignorance, unlike the son who is lost willfully, this piece of silver or this coin is lost by accident. It's obvious from the story that there was no intention to lose it because the woman seeks diligently. She sweeps the house and lights a candle. And when she finds it, she runs and tells all her friends with joy and exuberance, I found that which I have lost. Now this is a pretty big fuss over a small coin. By modern values, this was a quarter of a shekel, about probably four ounces of silver. Be worth a day anywhere from 50 cents to $2.50. And that's worth more to some of you than others, but I don't know if there's anyone who lost $2.50 if they found it would run over to their neighbor's house and beat on the door and say, hey, rejoice with me. I, man, I lost $2.50 and I just searched my whole house and I finally found it, man. Let's have a party. Uh, you know, that's just some pretty big fuss over a coin. But what's going on in this story here is more than what meets the Western mind. What's going on here is the custom was in this culture, if you were going to be engaged to a man, not to give him an engagement ring, but to give him an espousal, and it varies on who you read. Some say a bracelet, some say a necklace, and some say a headband, and on that band would be ten pieces of silver. To the Jews, it was very important who their prodigy, who their offspring would be. First of all, it was important that they, they have offspring, that they have sons, especially, who would care for them in their old age, but they were always looking to have a son that would perhaps be in the lineage of the Messiah. And that, that would just be a great honor if that, if that son could somehow, or be in some other great lineage. And so that, that I would marry a woman who would give me a child. You know the many stories in Scripture of women who were barren and uh, what a disgrace it seemed to them and how they cried out to God to have a child. And, and so it was, a, it was a big thing to them. And so part of their marriage culture was that a man would be engaged or espoused to a woman for a one-year period of time. And the purpose of that was to make certain that she was pure, that she was not with child from another man, uh, and that you would not marry her, and then she would have a child, and unbeknownst to you, she had been unfaithful with someone else, and she had a child, and that child was someone else's child. And so this period of one year, you remember the story of Mary and Joseph, you know, when he found out she was child, and, and he refers to her as, 
in, in one place as his wife. And they were actually considered to be married. And if they were going to put them away, they had to go to the, the authorities and give them literally a divorce during that one-year period of time. Uh, because at the end of that one-year period of time, it was the beginning of the married relationship. Uh, and, and, and they were, though it was what we would call an engagement, they had to get a writing of divorcement to put them away even during that one-year period of time. And during that period of time, they would wear this uh, bracelet or this headband with 10 pieces of silver to symbolize that they were engaged, they were espoused to this man to be married at a given period of time. But during that period of time, if they were found to be impure, they would remove one coin from that bracelet or that headband. If a man were to lie with a woman, he would have the moral obligation to remove one of those coins so that her fiancé would not unwittingly take her to wife and have a child that was born in that marriage relationship that did not belong. That's what's going on in this story. Apparently, in the busyness of her life, just somehow in the carelessness of her everyday business. Who knows how? It doesn't say. But somehow, she had lost a coin. And obviously, she had not been unfaithful. But she knew that if her fiancé would come and in a moment of intimacy would count the coins on that headband or that bracelet and would count only nine her relationship with him would be over. No doubt she was deeply horrified because she didn't know. The story doesn't give us all the details. If he was someone who was a nearby village or if he was far away, then this speaks to us of the relationship that Christ has with you and I. We don't hear much about the rapture of the church these days, but he's coming, church. He's going to come again. And when he does, he's coming for a church that is without spot or that is without wrinkle. He is coming for a bride that is pure. He is coming for a church that is committed to him and committed to him alone. And he is going to look for ten coins of chastity and purity. And that's what is going on in this story. That's why there is such a big fuss. That's why when she finds it, she runs to the neighbors and says, hey, I found that coin. Rejoice with me. That relationship is secure. It's not over with. Rejoice with me. And notice, interestingly enough, it's not her that's lost. It's the relationship that is lost in this story. And notice, secondly, she sought. In the story of the sheep, it was the shepherd that sought. In the story of the lost son, the father, in his uncompelling, unconditional love sought. But in this story, it's the coin that's lost. But who does the seeking? She does the seeking. But she is aided by a candle and a broom. And this speaks to us of the role of the Holy Spirit. Church, if you're lost today, Oh, I've been coming for years. You maybe have been. I've been a Christian for years. I don't doubt that at all. 
but what is your spousal relationship? What is your relationship in your heart of hearts this morning? What is the relationship in the corners of your life this morning with the Lord? You know, I know when I was engaged to my wife, I pursued her. I sought to know more about her. My passion, there was a passion and a hunger there. It was an engagement relationship. Is your engagement relationship with the Lord still what it is today? Or is there a coin that has slipped, that has gone away? Where is the passion and fervor of your engagement relationship with the Lord? Is it still there? If not, the light of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit symbolized by that broom to sweep away the dust and whatever it is in your life. Oh, you didn't mean to get here. You've just been careless. You've just been pursuing the everyday things of life, the average things that have been going on. How was she found? She was found by reacquiring that which was lost. Jeremiah 29, 13. God said, you'll find me when you seek me again with all of your heart. Fourth thing about this coin, this maiden's actions can be characterized by that third word, iniquities. Iniquities. She was, this kind of sounds kind of contradictory, but let me explain it. She was willing, yet reluctant, reluctant and unwittingly a participant in sin or wrongdoing. Now to say that she is willing and yet reluctant sounds contradictory. She was a product of her environment. She had a fallen nature. She had an Adamic nature which turns instinctively towards sin. You know, you just... She was... Well, let me tell you about your Adamic nature. You can be passive or active about it. Well, let me explain it even better. There's an old Indian proverb. Old Indian said one day, you know what, there's a good dog and a bad dog in every man and they're fighting. Somebody said, which one wins? He said, well, whichever one I feed. So what I'm saying is, that's true. You've got a good dog and a bad dog inside of you if you're a born-again Christian. And sometimes that bad dog wins. But you know why? Because you aren't feeding the good dog. That's why. And that is a willful act. Are you passively or actively? You can, you can passively feed that bad dog just by not feeding the good dog. And that's a willful act. Are you frequenting the house of God? Are you spending time with God in prayer? Do you have a devotional time with the Lord? Are you growing in God? Are you availing yourself of Wednesday night or some other type of Bible study to learn and grow in knowledge? I promise you that if I hadn't learned some things about my wife, we would have never gotten married, and I promise you, if I hadn't learned even more about her, that we wouldn't stay married. 
And we've been married 43 years, and we're learning more about each other all the time, or we still wouldn't stay married after 43 years. We still have our differences and our conflicts, and we're still learning why, even after all of these years. And people expect to just say, okay, now I'm a Christian, and just be passive. And that word, iniquities, is kind of a description of that. Like this woman, they just expect to coast along and go along and not pay attention to that espousal relationship they have and expect it, you know, I just kind of make church once in a while. It should be automatic. I'm a Christian. People do that with their marriage. I just get married and expect it to work. You've got problems. If you don't work at it, it won't work. My wife and I counsel married people sometimes. Sometimes, you know, you get a professional, he's an accountant or something, you know. How many books did you read on accounting? Oh, I got my degree in accounting. I don't, have any, I don't know how many I read. I went to college. I did the only, how many books you read on marriage? Oh, I guess I never have read one. And then you're wondering why your marriage isn't working. You know, you've learned everything you could about accounting, and you haven't made any effort to learn anything about marriage, and you're wondering why your marriage failed. How good of an accountant would you be if you hadn't pursued it and studied it? What are you learning about God and His ways? What are you doing to grow intimately with Him? A few years back, I had a privilege to go to Medicine Bow, Wyoming, beautiful national forest there. friend of mine, Mike West, I hate to admit I know him. Any of you know Mike West? Don't ever admit that I knew him or said he was my friend, okay? He's a great guy, I'm just kidding. Mike West and I and my grandson went to Medicine Bow, Wyoming, 1.1 million acres, national forest land, some of it rugged, in the Rockies. We went out there four-wheeling around the trails. Beautiful country, but it's pretty desolate. We four-wheeled for quite some time one day, and then we got in our vehicle and wanted just to kind of go around later in the day and just kind of go some areas that we hadn't been in. We drove down a road saw a truck and trailer unloading a couple of horses with riders in front of us and a couple of other people there as well and partially blocked the road and we kind of stopped and one of them come over to the car and said to us, have you seen a little gal about so tall? And they described a little, about an eight-year-old girl. I said, no, what's going on? Well, we're camped just right over here. Our daughter wandered away from camp a few hours ago. We've not seen her since. By now, it's very close to sunset. We're in the high Rocky Mountains, remote area. There is no cell signal. We're miles from the nearest small community of any kind. It would take quite some time just to drive there. To get a search party together would be impossible. It would be dark in just the shortest period of time. These people with horses just happened to be nearby and 
maybe just come in line. They agreed to mount up and help search. He said, we'll do what we can. So we found a road that was somewhat passable in four-wheel drive. He said, we'll drive down this road. Just a few of us to search. It's getting dark. It's going to be dark. And I don't remember now. Maybe an hour before it gets dusk. And up there, 30 minutes before total darkness, it's pretty dark in those woods. Bear country. Even without it, I would not want to spend the night in those woods by myself. You could see the desperation on this father and mother's face thinking about that eight-year-old child having to spend the night. In the high country, it gets cold at night. Fairly warm in the daytime, so she had just minimal clothing on. No jacket, nothing to keep her warm. Lost. Said, we'll go down this road. And we started down that road, and we would stop ever eight or so of a mile. Get out walk out into the woods a little way and yell, ask her name. They gave her us her name. And we'd yell, listen for her name to come back. Any answer. We drove, I don't know how far down that road. Great, great distance. Finally, we got out, walked out some distance and yelled. We hear off in the distance a faint response. And he yelled back, Stay there. Don't don't move for fear that she would hear the echo and maybe move even farther away. Stay there. And I said, I'll stay here at the car. It'll probably be almost dark and we're gonna to have to come to the sound. And I'll honk the horn. If you can come to the sound of the horn, if I meet you, I'll move on up the road if it seems to be closer. We'll yell by communication. Mike and my grandson took off toward the young gal. A little while, it's almost dark. We came back to the car. We drove back up and down the roads until we could finally find father again. I'll never forget. Watching that little girl open that door. Tears streaming down her face. Running to the open arms of that father. And that father's open arms <laughs> grabbing that little gal. And the two of them hugging knowing what might have been if that little gal hadn't just by fortune been found. There was no rebuke. There was no, you know, what did you do? The father told us. I told her if she thought she was lost ever to just stay put, to not walk. She had done all the wrong things that he told her to do. She was just in camp there, just minutes since he was gone. Someone here this morning 
God is like that father standing with open arms. You may have been attending church here for 10 years. I don't know who you are, but I know that the Lord laid this message on my heart. I don't know which of these three categories you fit in this morning, but this is the morning that the lost need to come home. (laughs) And you need to step down to this altar this morning. You need to admit you're lost. (laughs) I'm not saying you're evil. I'm not saying you're wicked. It really doesn't matter. All that matters is that you're lost. And there's a father standing with outstretched arms. In all of these stories, it says the angels in heaven rejoice. There's angels standing in the balconies of heaven overlooking. They know you by name. And God's drawing on the strings of your heart this morning. Will you stand to your feet this morning? As they begin to sing this song, come to the altar. I'm not going to do all the formalities of lift your hand and do this and do that. I'm not going to categorize you as a backslider, a sinner, or this or that. If you feel that tug on your heart this morning and just feel like you need to pray, will you just be honest? It's hard for me to admit to my wife I'm lost. (laughs) Don't be that way with the Lord this morning. If you just sense that you need to reaffirm your relationship with the Lord or you want to admit to the Lord this morning that you want to be closer to Him, will you step out and find your place up front this morning? Then we're going to pray with you. Will you come while they're singing this morning?
solitude of their home, the solitude of their mind. Your outstretched arms are ever with them, Lord. Someone here, Lord, this morning that you're speaking to, someone is away that you, Lord, wanted to bring home today. May that someone, Lord, still take opportunity, perhaps circumstances of service is too intimidating to them, Lord, and yet in their deep depth of their heart, they really do want to respond to you, Lord. They can do that in a private way. May they be willing, Lord, to surrender to you in the quiet moments of their heart, even here in this service this morning, Lord. May they whisper yes to you and follow through, Lord, with that commitment, we pray. In Jesus' name. You're dismissed this morning. Lord, bless all of you.